This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing Company, where they believe simplicity is a good thing. Try their lager, IPA, stout, and new raspberry sour, all available at the LCBO. Grab the bull by the horns. Beer and Bullshit, Wednesday, January 27th. Chris Pellerin is with me. Chris, what's up? Uh, not too much, Benny. Not too much. How you doing? Good, good. I'm the host, by the way, Ben Johnson. For anyone tuning in for the first time, this is our podcast about beer and bullshit. Chris is one of my oldest friends, and he's occasionally a co-host on the show, and he's got a big beard again. I've been trying to be representative of uh, the brewers that, that we have on the show, although I've, I've noticed that most of them don't have really beards anymore. Yeah, I don't think that's a fair stereotype, Chris. There's, we've had women on the show in beer. We've had lots of bald-faced men. Um, so stuck a, in your stereotypes, bro. I know. I uh, I need to wake up when it comes to uh, facial hair stereotypes. That's for sure. Well, we got a big show this week, Chris. Are you excited? Uh, I'm super excited. Good. It was a good one. Uh, I will say I heads up to listeners. The audio was not great. I'm trying to do some things to make sure the levels are better. But, uh, uh, well, our, our guests were uh, the the founders of Bellwoods Brewery in Toronto. We had uh, Mike Clark and Luke Pestel on the show. Uh, Luke was actually without Mike and some distance from his laptop. And there is a fire happening uh, nearby him. So you'll hear some of that in the show. And uh, hopefully the levels are okay, but I, I apologize. This wasn't uh, the best audio for a podcast so far. Yeah, I was pretty excited for this one, Ben. I'm as uh, as you point out, I'm I'm a Bellwoods fanboy. I I don't think I was gushy enough, maybe, but it was a uh, little weird that when you started masturbating, but we just played through. Yeah, my camera stopped working. Wink, wink. What was that guy who did that? Some guy just did that. The guy from the New Yorker. Yeah, Tubin. There, Jeffrey Tubin. I wanted to say you were pulling a Tubin. Um, yeah, it was an interesting chat with those guys. Back in the day, I think we got a little of this. Um, hung out with, I've hung out with those guys a few times, but a, a lot of our relationship uh, back in the day was that I would find something out that they weren't prepared to be to go public with, and then I would call them for comment. And I won't say a contentious relationship, but I was kind of a pain in their ass. I was trying to write click-worthy shit, and they were trying to run a business. But uh, I don't know. I think it went okay. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it went well. Um, you know, I mean, you asked some hard-hitting questions. And, and a lot of the questions are similar to ones that you ask other guests that, that have been on, on the pod. But uh, it's it's funny watching the different directions that it goes with different guests. Um, and and uh, it got a little serious on this call. Yeah, I feel like there's a bit of a vibe. But I think they're really, really careful about their brand and their company. So I don't know. There's most brewer, Most of the people we've had on the show, we can break down their, you know, their... I don't know, outer shell a little faster, maybe? I don't know. I was thinking that Bellwoods was, um, you know, kind of my first foray into craft beer, but they only date back to 2012. I, I for some reason, thought it was longer than that. And I feel like I must have got into drinking craft beer a little bit before then, but they would have been, they would have been the brewery that, that I would have tasted and said, okay, there's, there's something better than what I've been drinking local. Uh, I should get, get on the train here. Yeah. So it was good to have them on. They're obviously, uh, they've reached a pretty, I don't know, high status among beer fans in Ontario. Certainly was always one of my very favorite places to go and drink 
in Toronto when I lived there. And uh, I don't think we need to intro this any further, do we? I don't think so. No, this is uh, this is great. With the uh, the founders of Bowwoods here. Okay, Luke and Mike, enjoy. It's been a while since I've seen you guys. It's been a while since I've seen anyone. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Luke, this is Chris, by the way. He's occasional co-host and one of my oldest friends. Hey, Chris. How you doing, Luke? And he's a fanboy, so he's trying to contain himself because he loves Bellwood's beer. <laughs> I'm going to try not to tell all Bellwood stories here while we're on. We'll just we'll ask good questions instead. He's doing a very good. He's doing a very good job containing himself. Well, can I yeah. tell the? Can I tell your last or a few weeks ago we had Lackey and Ian McCooster on the show, and yeah. Chris didn't even know who, <laughs> who we were sitting with. He thought it was the Bellwoods guys. <laughs> and uh he was like i'm like are you drinking a beer he's like yep i broke my dry january i'm having a jelly king and i'm like oh <laughs> like he's like like <laughs> but nobody really caught on we're like yeah that's a good beer and then he's like fuck i thought that was going <laughs> that's funny i edited it out but now it's out there i'm putting it in this one chris you're you're busting oh, sure got it okay yeah <laughs> so gentlemen it's been a long crazy uh well it's covid everything's crazy but i was remarking on the first time we met which was 2012 you were working as a reporter for blog to or was for blog to right that's right that first was time we met yeah and then every time i called you after it was to, to break some news that you were pissed off that i was breaking <laughs> it seemed like or there was some story you didn't want out there so i yeah but i remember 2012 you were re basically renovating what was a garage space and a gallery garage. And I was thinking today, like, how is it possible that that space existed? Like, think about that area now. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, it was even insane for it to be something that we could get even at that time. And yeah. then all changed a lot after that. But that was, you know, an incredible stroke of luck for us, really, to even have a line on on um, getting into that that space. So it's kind of the first domino that fell for us. And the most the most significant one, really, that led to everything else happening, really. Yeah, I'd say it's even one of the main things that brought Mike and I together as business partners was we when we started talking about doing a brewery together. It, the, the well, at least in my mind, the conversation was like, well, you know, we we uh, where where if you could do a brewery anywhere, where would you do it? And then both of us were like, oh, West End Toronto. Like, well, where where exactly? Well, like you know, maybe like. West Queen West Osington. Well, like where exactly? Like right in the middle of Osington, but Lower Osington would be perfect. And bo both of us had that sort of thing in mind. So it was like, okay, I guess I, I could see us working together. We we had a very similar vision of, of where we wanted to be there, and that that space didn't actually come up um, on the market. It was um, Mike's um, bulldog personality that uh, that found uh, the right people to talk to and get uh, get us a deal on that space, both with the landlord and the the current tenant of the art gallery. Nice. Yeah, we got very, we got very lucky. There had been an art gallery in there that was basically failing. Uh, and the person who was running the art gallery didn't really want to do it anymore, but didn't have a plan to exit. So I got to know him or we got to know him and basically muscled him out. Paid, paid him to hold on to it for a while while we befriended the landlord and then negotiated a hypothetical deal which allowed us to do all of like the the architectural planning and getting the zoning certificates and all the stuff you need to do in Toronto or any municipality for that matter to know that we 
could actually do it before we, you know, paid him to go away and ink to deal with this landlord. So we were able to kind of, you know, work things behind the scene to, uh, behind the scenes to, to get in there, uh, so that it never went to market. Cause if it, if it went to market, it would have been a Starbucks in like two minutes, yeah. right? We wouldn't have a hope in hell of getting in there. It's like, you know, just two random guys that want to open a brewery. It sounds like a, sounds like a nice idea, but to the average landlord, it's just like, okay, I'd rather, you know, is go he with still your landlord? Oh. Is the same landlord today? Yeah, he's awesome. He's probably pretty happy Absolutely. he made that decision. Perhaps even luckier was getting the space next door because if we didn't have that, we probably would have been fucked. Actually, a a, a really stupid plan. Yeah. <laughs> were you just I, betting on you'd get the space next door too? Yeah. So while we were basically working the scenario at 124 Ossington, we we befriended the this the nephew of the owner of 126 Ossington, and to be honest, like. You know, Luke and I had no idea how we were going to pull off running a brew pub in 124 if we didn't have the 126 space. We, so, we had a plan B, but it was it was grueling. It was like you know, cold. We knew we needed cold storage, so it would be cold storage as close as possible, which like realistically could mean as far as oh, it's Etobicoke or something, mm-hmm. um, and you know, schlepping kegs back and forth daily because there was literally no space on site. So we would we would have to make the smallest walk-in fridge possible on 124 and just run kegs every day to supply the brew pub. Um, and you still made room for that tiny little kitchen under the stairs. Remember guy was putting food out of from that first kitchen. Yeah. But even there, like it was only a third of our, a third of our tank capacity is in 124 in the early days and two thirds was, was ended up being in 126. So we would have, we wouldn't have even been able to open a bottle shop. We would have, we wouldn't have had enough beer to even do pop-ups. Never mind, you know, anything beyond that. And then there was an Ossington specific bylaw against like certain kinds of liquor licenses at the time. And we weren't even sure we'd get past the community to get a front patio there because the space had been kind of like a, a problem space for a while. So we, you know, there was like a whole bunch of different, different versions of the plan. If we didn't get the patio and 126 didn't come through, it would have been Luke and I just brewing there in a, a large fridge and essentially probably just a retail store. Who knows if we probably wouldn't have opened a restaurant. So. I'd probably just be driving full-time kegs to the, to the bars so Mike can pour to people. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It's the building on its, on its own was way too small. Like yeah. you can't operate anything really in there without the structure beside it or without a large offsite storage facility, which you'd spend your whole life driving, you know, back and forth, schlepping kegs around. So it was completely inadequate for starting a brewery and, a really stupid place to start one if you don't get the building beside it. But it worked you know, out. It worked out. Yeah. Did you guys ever think you'd spend so much time thinking about zoning and permits and architecture? <laughs> no, but you know, as you get into it and start doing research, you realize that that's like. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different facets to operating a brewery and, and brewing, and you know, there's it's a multi-dimensional thing that 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 whole sort of. Uh, landlords and leases and space usage and building code and zoning and uh, community politics uh, the sort of intersection of all those things is a very like unforgiving (laughs) unforgiving space you know we've been able to get to work and we've had to become I guess like experts in all that you know over the over the years but um, it's a slog or it can be a slog getting through all that you know so 
I want to back up a second because where were you guys when you were together scheming this plan? Because it's always, I feel like that's kind of like, oh, you guys came from Amsterdam and that's kind of all we ever, like, how'd you guys meet up and how did this, how'd you get together? Um, we, we met at Amsterdam. Um, that's it. End of story. No. <laughs> we met at Amsterdam and uh, worked together there. And, you know, I think both of us had similar visions of what we would like to do in the future. And it was, you know, something on my mind and, you know, you just, you get to talking with your coworkers, not on Amsterdam's time, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you just, you get to chatting about like what you might like to do in the future and one thing leads to, to another. And, you know, I decided, or I decided to, uh, to get out and start looking for spaces. And then Luke decided to hop on, you know, yeah. we, We've been kind of chatting about this together, so it just kind of came together naturally as over the course of, you know, a year of working working together. And it's not, I, you know, I was even in my interview at Amsterdam four years before I ended up leaving. I, I told Jeff that I wanted, you know, my I wanted to eventually open my own brewery. That's why I was taking, you know, that's why I was pursuing a brewing job. That that, that was always my long term goal. Um, Mike left before I did and, and began the uh, like work and and you know and I jumped off shortly after that to help with, you know, doing the build out and, and planning all the, you know, logistics of like, well, what do we do if we can't get 126 and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, I, we were both unemployed for a year before we ended up opening the doors there. Yeah. You weren't stealing parts of the brewery out in your lunchbox one piece at a time, like Johnny Cash no. style. No. <laughs> you know how the cry clamps are, though. <laughs> That's what some some brewer came into the brewery in the early days um, and uh, caught Pat and was like, was like uh, they were starting a brewery. They said, and I don't, I have no idea who this was, but they were starting a brewery and uh, they're really struggling financially. And and uh, do we have any spare cl tri clamps? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Like, yeah, we bought them. No, no brewery has spare tri clamps kicking around. That's for sure. Follow up. That was Jason Fisher, and that's how Indies. <laughs> no, I, I almost applied for a job as a brewer at Jason with Jason. He, I, he, he hit some massive red tape in the early days, and um, I, uh, yeah, he was. I think he was scheduled to open a year before he ended up opening, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, his delays were the stuff of myth. They're like things falling through the floor, like ridiculous. Yeah, because in that in-between period, um, I, I contemplated getting a job just to get some money while, while we were building out and stuff like that. But um, anyway, I didn't pursue it. <laughs> so I've, without trying to make this show all about buildings and permits and delays, there is a significant part of your story where there was a location two. And then there's location three and then no, no location two. So can we talk about the, the DuPont saga? <laughs> Try to give the brief version because I feel like it was like a multi-year saga. Oh, and it's, it's still going on, Ben. Is it still an that's just still a possibility for you guys? Uh, okay, so um, th that project is unfortunately in litigation. Okay, the other thing you guys are experts in now. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> Not by design, not by design, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the the short story would be that we, you know, as you know, spent a lot of time pre-planning and uh, working towards a project plan uh, for that expansion, um, signed a lease, and 
when we went to move into the space, basically the landlord breached the lease from the outset, and never moved out of the building. Um, so we were never able to even start. This led to like many months and, and years of trying to work out a new schedule and trying to give extensions to figure out when he was going to leave. And eventually he just didn't leave and stopped communicating with us. And uh, at that point we were, we were forced to basically send it to the courts. So we're uh, just kind of waiting, waiting to uh, work that out. That was like six years ago. You guys were telling me about your plans for that space. That it was, it was 2014. You were, it sounded amazing. <laughs> I still remember it. Yeah, we, were take, we were supposed to take possession in June of 2015. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And that was supposed to open, I think roughly 14 months later on a very, on like a specific plan, you know, for uh, how the renos were going to go and, and, and all the rest of it. So it was supposed to be open in 2016. And, um, but we never got access to the, the empty to the empty space. We tried to work it out. It didn't work out. So now it's a court thing. Okay. Well, you probably don't want to go into it if it's a court thing. You don't want to shit talk anyone on a recording, so we won't go there. <laughs> Not anymore than anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, so Hafis was definitely like a necessity because you guys needed volume. Was that fair to say? Well, we needed, uh, we actually needed a building to go along with DuPont. We needed a building for shipping and receiving and for additional capacity to run the DuPont building as we planned to. So we were already looking for sites like that. And, you know, we made deposits on equipment that was supposed to go into the DuPont building. And when we realized that we were on the hook for, and not on the hook, but when we, we, when we realized that there was no uh, reliable timeline for DuPont, and that we could be waiting a year, two years before that could really move forward. We just pivoted and basically uh, took the equipment that was going to go into DuPont and put it into Havis Road. But the equipment that's in Havis Road was supposed to go into the DuPont building. Hmm. Havis Road was never supposed to be a brewery. It was going to be a support vessel for DuPont. Gotcha. Um, but we couldn't, we, we couldn't even stock our own shelves at Ossington. So you know, we needed to, to basically do something to kind of uh, keep the, you know, keep the ball rolling and couldn't sit there waiting for years for this landlord to do what he was supposed to have done. So we just pivoted to do something at Hapis and that's how it came together. Okay. Um, maybe along the same, I don't think it was the same time, but it never seemed like LCBO was something you guys were going to do. Was that like a... COVID necessity? Has it been that recent or you're just like, let's do it for the sake of doing it? Fortunate timing with COVID, but no, it was, it was just prior to that, that um, uh, largely um, in conversation, Joey's probably the biggest driving force of the brewery that, that sort of, um, you know, pushed us in that direction. Um, not, you know, not uncomfortably, um, but yeah, it wasn't really something that we considered for a long time, and then the, it just, we we had we got to a certain volume and a certain capacity to brew, and it, we revisited looking at it. We looked we looked at it very early, like in twenty, like as soon as we started bottling out of Ossington, and the, the models just didn't suit us because we couldn't package in any volume that would supply listings in a reliable way. So it it was it wouldn't be a good relationship. We just looked at you know self distribution ourselves. Um, 
but then um, I don't, we revisited it and it just made sense for a number of reasons. And um, so we listed Jelly King just to dabble it in. And it, they were actually very easy to work with. They're like, you know, stable, they pay their bills on time and it just, it, it worked out a lot better and was a lot easier than, than we expected. Um, and the, our relationship with the people in management there has been really great. So they've, you know, he, with, through some coaching and encouragement, we've decided to do a couple, a couple other listings and it's been, it's been really great. It just works really well for our, for our model. Well, it's been amazing for access to Bellwoods for people that are outside of the GTA. Like before that it was, I got a, a cousin that lives in the neighborhood and, and he would basically be our courier, uh, or if I was in Toronto, I'd be carrying four boxes of beer out to an illegally parked car uh, on, yeah. on Ossington. And, um, and, and you guys have your $10 flat rate shipping through Ontario. So that, mm -hmm. has that really opened up, um, you know, where you guys have been selling beer or volume, just the, the access for people that aren't, aren't close to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, well, especially with COVID, obviously, like that, that's where the fortunate timing comes in. So if we didn't have those LCBO listings and then with wholesale vaporizing overnight, basically through um, licensees and, um, you know, retail can only do so much. Retail at HAFIS basically disappeared as well. Um, we, uh, we would have been in big trouble if we didn't have LCBO listings to support us. And, you know, export was gone. So like we had to really adjust. So that, that was... I, I you know I can't imagine what we would have done if we didn't pursue that ahead of COVID. So will you guys keep that shipping uh, indefinitely going forward? Once <laughs> Chris wants a guarantee. Oh, yeah, shipping. Yeah, shipping's great. Yeah, I mean. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. We don't imagine that the. I mean, it's been such a colossal, colossal change in in uh, alcohol and beer and breweries in general, just over the course of COVID, just with licensing and what you can do and you know, who can do what. I don't imagine that uh, the online store is going to go any going to go anywhere, even yeah. post COVID. You, know? you can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. It's this is out there now, and consumers are used. Like, it's yeah. kind of morbid to say, but COVID's been really good for beer consumers. Like, you guys have yeah. had to adapt, and it's we've benefited as beer drinkers. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, the move, and then the, the momentum towards private liquor stores and, and you know, boutique bottle shops and, and that sort of thing. It, it's, I think the landscape will change even more. I mean, who, who doesn't want to walk to the, their corner store and get their favorite beer or wine or whiskey yeah. rather than like going to Summer, Summer Hill or whatever across the city or... Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. why can't you have a great bottle shop in like a small community? Why do I have to make two stops to get my beer, meat, and cheese? <laughs> I want them all in one store. <laughs> I want to. I'm curious to know how you guys feel about what I would consider maybe it's the tail end, but a craze for milkshake IPAs. And follow up: Do you feel bad about starting it? <laughs> but you guys made a lot of milkshake IPAs, and they're pretty. Like I, I feel that they got to a point where like every brewery felt they had to do one. How do you guys feel about that trend overall? it's the same as seltzers i feel like it's just that's that's a you know that's you know in my mind you've got in craft beer you've got sort of like the the quest to make the perfect classic style and then you've got the experimental side and that's just sort of sums up the experimental side that that drive that breweries have the craft breweries have to you know just try new things and push the limits on something and that's sort of that's the extreme and you know it's i don't i think it's in the same vein as like 
pastry stouts and um, you know fruited what like what are they, like smoothie beers and stuff like that. Um, we didn't start it. That that's you know that, that I know that culture that culture was already there, right? It's all it's a funny thing too. It's like okay, like uh, they get a lot of Instagram likes, and yeah, people do buy them. But in terms of like how much, just in terms of Bellwoods, like how small of amount of milkshake beer we actually make, you know. But they get a lot of a lot of play visually for whatever reason. So it creates this impression that like we're this milkshake milkshake IPA factory, which is like couldn't be farther from the truth, you know. And it's a polarizing style, even within Belvis. You know, there's people that like them and people that think they're sacrilegious. Do you, do you and... guys, are you guys on opposite ends of that? <laughs> you know, I, I've I've li- I've enjoyed some of them, but it, you know, it it wasn't. It's never been either of our favorite style of beer. Um, and I think Mike's definitely on the on the further spectrum, further side of, of you know, not enjoying them. But um, and that's you know that's fine. But you know, we there are. are a lot of people that get excited for an interesting sort of experimental yeah. beer, and it's it's a small batch, like Mike said. Like you know, these I don't think that style of beer would go over. You know, it's, it would it would make a well, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe it would make an okay LCBO listing, but I don't think it's. We, we weren't we weren't looking to build our brewery around that style of beer um, any more than we were looking to make you know Muggle Vice a core brand when we made that. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've always been making random beers and you know just yeah to see what people think and just to push our limits of what we can do and um and that's you know that one that one caught a lot of people's got a lot of people's attention on you know it was a big you know maybe the controversy helped you got people that you know criticized us for making them which kind of made, made me want to make it more and right and you got people that were so excited and uh you know would would just, trek across the city to get a, mil- a milkshake IPA and like, you yeah. know, why deny them what they want? <laughs> right. Well, that's my other question is you guys were excited to do experimental things and do your own thing when I first met you. Now that you have a pretty large brewing operation under you, how do you find the balance between like, here's what we like making, here's what we want to make, here's what's selling. Like, is there I asked Ian this question and he always gets pissed off when I asked him. He's like, of course I make what's selling. It's part of my job. But like, do you guys find that you're like, ah, let's make some of this because it's hot right now, but we got to make some of this because I really want to make it. How do you find that balance? Uh, I don't think it's very hard to find that balance at all. You know, the, the whole brewery almost runs just like the brew pub did in a way. I mean, obviously there's more, you know, larger tanks being devoted to things like Jelly King or Jutsu or things that are moving, I guess, they're being consumed in more volume, but um, I don't think there's anything we make that lingers too much, you know, I mean, we, we can choose a batch size, you know, Milk Shark is one of the smallest batch sizes we make, because it's like, there's a hardcore group of people that really want to come and buy that all up, and it's gone, gone in a few days, but we wouldn't be doing like, you know, massive runs of it. Um, it's not really something that we... You don't need to think about it. You're like, oh, we brew what we want and it sells. So we'll just keep brewing what we want. We're also at a different scale. We're not, we, we're not, you know, we're doing, we're doing what, around 10,000 hex a year right now, which yeah. is, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's big compared to what we started at, which was maybe 1,500. Um, when, when Ossington was in full swing, we got up to two and a half thousand 
um, hex, which was really pushing the limits of what we could put out of Ossington. We scaled that back as soon as we could because it was everyone's burning out. Um, and we just didn't really have space for it. But you know, ten thousand hex combined between the two breweries right now, um, and you know, we haven't pushed growth in a way that made us have to do a hundred thousand hex and you know sustain that that level because one you know once you get to a size that you're if you don't maintain that then you know you're you're going under so you know yeah. it's, it's we're at, we're at a pretty good level right now i mean we'll, we'll do more next year um and we are growing i'm not anti-growth um but but to sustain a level of like 10 to even twenty thousand hex is is like is comfortable where we don't need to find creative avenues to sell beer and, and we don't need to you know, put too much thought into like, well, this one's selling 5% more. So let's do that. It's like, well, yeah. there's a lot of factors that go into it. Like, you know, cost of goods or time in a tank or just pain in the ass factor to do a certain beer. Like, you know, we, we brew the one, Jelly King's a pain in the ass to make. So, you know, it doesn't always rule us out of doing a brand. Um, but, you know, Jelly we like making Jelly King. So we, we find a way to, to do it. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of rambling right now, but <laughs> no, no, I get it. No, you guys, you, you don't feel that push to like, you don't have to kowtow to trends to push volume. Cause that's, I mean, what you're doing is working. I was just like, you guys won rate beer top 100 breweries in the world every year from 2014 to 2019. So whatever you're doing, people obviously like it. Um, 20, you're going to take it home in 2020. What happened there? Have they not announced it yet? Did you guys miss a year? Uh, I think we usually announce it in like March or something. Like okay. <laughs> You're not off your game. It just hasn't been announced yet. Who knows? <laughs> no, we won't get into beer awards because we all agree on them and we've had this conversation before. So we don't need to have it on the record. <laughs> so we'll skip that. <laughs> that was, I think that was the second time we met was at the Ontario Brewers Awards, Brewing Awards, right? Um, and we left early and went back to your place and had a great <laughs> night. <laughs> no, we met before that at Bolo, but yeah yeah that was fun like let's get the fuck out of here and you guys had a private party at your place so we just took the upstairs and it was yeah much better night <laughs> oh hey ben hey chris what's up well i know indie alehouse is uh in toronto as a sponsor of the show yeah yeah that's right and you say they're in toronto right but you said that. Yep, that's true. I did say that, didn't I? So you always talk about having food and beer under the same roof. And uh, you talked about their patio, but we're entering the winter months. So uh, I see where you're going with this, Chris. It's just with Toronto in lockdown now. How do people support our sponsor, Indy? Well, Chris, I'm glad you asked because they are still offering Ontario-wide delivery service from their online bottle shop. Uh, all you need to do is select what you want to order and check it out. Uh, your beer will be delivered within a few business days through ICS. And obviously, they're still doing local delivery and uh, food takeout. And then you can uh, you can also pick up beer to go at their Eatly location on the second floor. And as always, Instigator IPA is in the LCBO. Awesome. Sounds like a lot of options uh, to get that NDL House beer that we love so much. Yeah, you're kind of an idiot for asking, actually. Well, I was glad that I asked until you called me an idiot. Oh, I gotta go. See you later. How big is your team? This is always kind of like a bummer question during COVID because it's possible you've had to lay people off. But when I met you guys for the first time, you had two people. You're up to 10,000 hex now. 
what's the team look like at Bellwoods these days? With the restaurant running, we were over 60 people. Um, and then we have closed the restaurant. So the, any layoffs that we've made have been associated with that. Um, we were able to keep, bring back a lot of people quite quickly. Um, and like our, our chef, for example, and we have two, we have three kitchen staff that we brought back. Um, and I think we're at 40, what are we at Mike? 47 now, something like that. I think it's 47 now. Yeah. Speaking of restaurant, I remember in 20, I'm going to say 2017, there was like, you guys were doing a like study with the landlords on the other side to think about maybe expanding to have like a restaurant space. Yep. Is, is that still a possibility or is that everything's on hold? Uh, it's still, still in the works. Yeah. So it looks like that will go ahead. Uh, Sweet. We went to did all of our, you know, all the zoning, all that stuff, right? Um, and got all the permissions to join 120 for Austin with 120 uh, prior to COVID. So got all our ducks in a row, so to speak, to, to be able to do that. So at some point by the end of this year or early into 2022, we'd be starting to renovate that space. And then at some point, probably early in 2022, unless, you know, COVID gets worse and, you know, unless something bad happens, um, uh, as long as the, the sort of industry is going back to normal and people are going into restaurants, we'd be opening that space and, and uh, joining it to the brew pub at 124. Cool. Yeah. So what, I mean, it's so preliminary, but what is your, what is the vision for that space? Like, I think when I first asked you, when I first asked you, like, how did you find these plans fuck off, basically? But when I but but you talked a little bit about wanting to be more about the food, like and, and highlight the, I think the cuisine with the beer. Is that fair to say? Uh, well, I mean, one of the things about the Austin site is like I don't know if you've walked behind 126 Austin where the kitchen is, but it's, you know, this tiny little kitchen jammed into the corner behind where the tanks are. Oh, your little kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tiny. It's absurd, right? And we have this like great team of people in the kitchen with Jay and Lee and John. And, and they do amazing things with what they have, but it's like just crazy, like how little how little they're working with. So, you know, we would love to uh, have a proper kitchen for the first time and be able to do a lot more. Um, and then just additional space for people to sit or stand, you know? Um, yeah, so just, you know, getting the kitchen out of 126 Aussie and having like an expanded, expanded kitchen, which can do a lot more, which could be open longer hours, um, would just change, change the dynamic there and it would also free up space in 126 for us to make the retail store bigger which as you know is just like this cramped little desk so if the kitchen wasn't there we could reconfigure that space to get the tanks back move the fridge back and then we'd have a retail store that you could actually walk into and enjoy yourself in as opposed to being jammed up against this little desk with a lineup of people behind you so it would really unlock unlock the space in a lot of different ways yeah Maybe yeah. we might even be able to find a way to do samples in the retail store, which would yeah. be legally permissible. But we just, you know, we there's no way we could, you know, we don't have space for a washroom, we don't have space for three people in there, never mind, you know, somebody having a glass of beer at the same time. Yeah. Doesn't I that feel... small space produce, you know, more sales though? Because people panic, uh, they got to be quick because <laughs> there's people in line. And I'll take that shirt. 
Uh, you know, just give me, give me 12 of everything. That's what I do. I I, you know, I think it's, I think it's the opposite. I, I, I get the sense because our menu is always very intimidating there too. And, you know, we're, you know, it's always on our mind that our, our bottle list is, is overwhelming, right? Like we often have like nine, 11 beers, 13 beers on the menu. Sometimes there's six bottle conditioned beers on the menu and it's fine in an online format. So now, you know, we were at, we, before COVID, we were actually looking to, you know, okay, let's put the like major effort into streamlining this. Let's keep it very concise so that we, you know, we don't have too many of one stock, you know, too many barrel aged um, mixed ferments, for example, to that will overwhelm the customer when they get to into the store. Um, whereas with online, people have the time to, to peruse and, and, you know, make a, a more of a mixed cart. Um, I think the panic turns into just buying whatever they're familiar with. So, you know, in the retail store at Ossington, you get Jutsu and Roman and and Bellweiser moving really Jelly King, um, Fruit Jelly King moving um, really well, and and I and I'm curious if it's more of just like a it's like I don't know what the fuck's on this menu just order the first thing up there or the order the thing that you're comfortable with, um, or maybe it's just that that's the demographic that we get is you know it's it's neighborhood um, people that know what they like and they get those I I, I don't know but um, park drinkers well, you need you need you need park drinks. Yeah, I don't think the panic that's that's like associated with like being at the front of a line, having to make an order quickly, and like you know our retail store staff doesn't have time to really you yeah. know answer questions the way that they they would like to, and you know it's like hard to engage in a conversation when you've got eight people with a line behind you. Not that it's always that busy, but you know on a busy weekend for sure. Yeah, and like you know you want people to be uh, you want people to feel comfortable going there and like they can sit and ask questions and yeah. not, feel, not feel pressured to rapidly you know buy whatever and chris is just projecting his anxiety being in a retail environment i think <laughs> oh i get super anxious i would hate it like, i mean it's, you know you know we, we don't intend to make uncomfortable spaces, right? it's certainly, certainly not a strategic business decision to it's try not. to touch people in the order <laughs> I mean, the brew pub's tight enough there's nowhere to stand I get the actually as you're talking, I'm getting this the opposite sense that I feel like you guys have had a lot of like frustrations in your ultimate desire to host people because we were super excited about Dupont as an event space and you explained it to me in great detail and you talked about wanting to have weddings there and it was going to be a beautiful space and then you've you've kind of been unable to really host a lot of people in the brew pub space and now COVID, so it sounds like. At one point, at some point, you're going to get to be able to host people the way you want to. Is that a fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I think you know certainly the 120 Ossington expansion will really take the lid off what we can do in that space and have have like places where people can like comfortably hang out for longer periods of time and have it not be so cramped and you know make it. Just, it there's a certain feel in there um, in the winter months and like the low season. That's that's when it's less busy, it's not the summer, that's just like, it's not as cramped and it's great. But as soon as the door comes, as soon as the door is open and the street floods with people and all people, people who aren't even interested in those just see a line and get in the line. <laughs> and the place ends up just being kind of frenzied and, uh, you know, we do the best job we can making it like as good as, as good as it can be and welcoming, but it's just packed and, and tight. You know, we just like to have a more comfortable, more comfortable space basically, you know? Yeah, totally get it. I don't want to be like, I liked you guys before you were cool, but I remember early on when it wasn't that packed and it was 
the best place to drink. And this, I loved going there. And then yeah. when I had to line up, I was like, fuck it, I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. Who <laughs> wants to stand in a line, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, did you guys ever think you'd, I mean, you're not huge by any means. I, I think it would not be any stretch to say you've been successful. Do you think, did you ever think you'd get to this point when you were first having those plans? On your lunch breaks at Amsterdam? Um, not, not really. No. <laughs> um, you know, like you know, we were, we alluded to how dire the situation could have been if we only got one twenty-four and we had to operate. You know, in a very compact scenario, and those were real thoughts. It was like that, like, well, you know, if if we have to operate like this for twenty years, like, this is what we're getting. This is what we're signing up for, and you know, so. Yeah, I think we've we've the Bellwoods has, has done really well, and it's there's you know it's found a stability in in uh, recent years that's that I, I I never expected really. A follow up to that, guys. Did you expect um, you know when you started your your beer is fantastic? You you won all these awards. Did you think it would be as well received as it as it was out of the gate uh, in terms of just the response you got from people? No. <laughs> I, I'm more arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I mean, it's really good. I mean, every brewer thinks that they're that they're brewing, you know, great beer, or otherwise, why do it? But um, you know, did I just was wondering if it was to your expectation, Luke? Obviously, you were highly confident. Um. Yeah. I. 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 I it was partly tongue in cheek. Um. I partly though. I. <laughs> I think the beer scene in Canada was very idle when we opened and i i was frustrated with that um i think we had a there was a it was a, just a great moment to be able to open with full creativity as a brewery and do whatever we want um the, the food scene was blossoming the beer scene was like ready to explode um so yeah i had i, I wouldn't have gone i wouldn't have risked everything in you know my personal life to into this into it if i did it wasn't very confident that we would be able to do well and part of doing well at that scale is making like really good beer um you know i did i definitely didn't expect to become a brewery that was internationally recognized um that that part sort of was was uh, a shock to you know the the rate beer nomination and in our first year introduced us to breweries from around the world and sort of a network of breweries that you know gave us attention around the world so you know we'd go to we'd go to Belgium or something and there would be beer fans that were like, Oh yeah, Bellwoods. I love Bellwoods. Like how the fuck did you hear of Bellwoods in Belgium? Um, that, that surprised me uh, more than our beer being received. Well, yeah, I, I would echo what, what Luke's saying. Yeah. I mean, obviously wouldn't have done it if I didn't think it could be successful and uh, didn't have any doubt that we'd make good beer, but just, you know, the additional things uh, that Luke's referencing is what kind of, I didn't forecast that. It's definitely pleasantly surprised that it went that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would have we would have been both be, we would have both been disappointed if our beer wasn't recognized as being very good in and at a local level, because um, you know that's why we opened a brewery. We wanted to make good beer. We were disappointed with the beer being offered in in Ontario, and we wanted to liven it up. Like that was our that was our goal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like we did it. I feel like we did a good job. Our beer was not, you know, our beer is not, has, you know, has not always been perfect, but it's something that we 
we've always strived for. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're always, we're always still, you know, always trying to make the best beer possible and tweaking it no matter what. And, you know, people give a shit for changing the recipes on Witch Shark. Like, fuck, man, you don't want to drink Witch Shark from back then. Trust me. But, That's like, what I said. Really yes, weird. I agree. I uh, like the new Witch uh, Shark. The first time I went to your brewery, I uh, I was going to a basketball game with a friend and it was probably 12 or 13 and, um, and, and I grabbed 12 Witch Sharks and we're sitting <laughs> at his place before the game and and we both had four, and we're saying, geez, what's the percentage on <laughs> yeah. uh, it? Was, it was a good night. We only had to have one beer at the game because we were already there. So, uh... <laughs> yeah. um, I was going to ask you, but your beers have evolved. But my, really, I was going to say, of course they have because you've responded to the way beer tastes have changed. But I remember you guys were one of the first beers you tried was Cuvée, Cuvée de Grandma's Boy. And I, I saw in your newsletter today that there's another variant of Grandma's Boy being released right now with, with plums, right? So, and then Witch Shark, I think you're right. I have the exact same sentiment. I don't think the Witch Shark of 2012 would be popular today. So I, I love the change of Witch Shark, actually. Often we're changing things just to match what we want, just as, as brewers and people that are drinking our own beer. You know, it's it's not like, oh we have to change this because the trends are going this way. It's just, we, our own tastes have changed, you know, and we are just improving our own products and our own, you know, according to our own taste. So what's something that has surprised you since you opened that you're like, fuck, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see you still being in writing about beer. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck am I still doing this for? You're right. That's the biggest surprise in the whole beer industry for you guys? To... <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I think it's something that's been a complete curveball, you know, um, other than the things we've already talked about, you know, just in relation to our, our own our own business and our own brewery and our own experience. Like, um, I can think of one, but maybe you don't want to go there. Did you ever think you'd be waging a legal battle over your logo with some folks at another brewery? Oh. <laughs> You lobbed it up. I had to go there. <laughs> um, did trademark it from day one. It was one of the first moves we made. Um, you know, and by placing a trademark on that, is it was you know we intended to defend it as a as the symbol of our brewery. So um, it wasn't. It's not really a surprise, really. Like that's that's part of business. It's not part of brewing. It's not part of the brewing industry specifically, but. The reality of business is trademark law and trademark infringement. And here we are. Yeah. How yeah. did that get? I mean, can we- sure, didn't see that coming. But you know, like uh, that's just the way the the dominoes fall. And and uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it a, a legal battle. I mean, that's that's a that's a bit dramatic. You know, I mostly just, just want to like, know how it got resolved because I never heard the end. Oh, oh, it's uh. It's, it's, Still going on so it's still working its way through the <laughs> everything with you guys is fucking dragging out forever still going on <laughs> like, uh, yeah it's uh, everything's moving at the pace of a receding glacier bed um yeah but um yeah you know these things just take time and like we had an issue with that image we believed it was trademark infringement people advising us believed that it was trademark infringement so we have, we approached them couldn't work anything out so okay leave it to the people at the trademark board to figure out if it's trademark infringement or not and that will be decided one way or another and 
In the meantime, we just move on and keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Well, that's not very exciting. I wanted to hear how it ended. <laughs> well, you no. know what it ends. No, yeah. if you look at the details yeah. of your trademark, it's, I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry to me. Like, I don't know. And it sounded like you guys approached them before they even opened their doors. So I'm shocked that it even got to this. It was flagged by the trademark office. It wasn't flagged by us. It was flagged by the inspection that trademark office. Really? Someone else brought it to your attention? The trademark office. It's not their job to enforce it. It's up to us whether we want to defend it. Um, But they, they did flag it as questionable. The cowbell application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did, yes, we did it first then to see if we could resolve something, but it didn't really go anywhere. So, so here we are. Here we are. Well, I was hoping for a happy ending. Or, well, you've outlived with the uh, release of uh, litigation logger. I'll see that in a newsletter coming up sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> Chris mentioned your newsletter, and I want to say I feel like you guys and your your brand you're very brand conscious. Like not to to pivot away from talking about your logo, but like you've always had a lot of concern about how your brand is used, how your brand is presented to the world. And I think it's paid off in spades, like the aesthetic for Bellwoods. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm in marketing and communications in my other life. So I'm really into that. And I, I, but like your newsletters are amazing. I think shout out to Carmen, if she's still doing it right. Like you guys yeah. have had it, the look and vi- feel is instantly recognizable. And I think, I mean, people pick up and gravitate towards shiny good looking things so your beer is great but your i feel like your branding has helped a lot too thank you yeah I mean, that makes the double knot. work at it and double knot yeah of course okay. um there's a good. white there's an old school white picket fence over here i, I moved it because if it was in the background i'd be so so fanboyish but i <laughs> have a double knot print in the house <laughs> yeah. Right yeah carmen's still going strong uh, right in the newsletter and uh, she's a very recognizable voice so yeah we're very lucky to have her and she has a, uh, a another partner in in um, media and communications and um, Paige uh, just joined us full-time as a to work with Carmen in that department so um, hopefully she's doing a lot of photography she has some video editing experience so um yeah we have a team of two in that department now nice usually it's someone's other duties and it's like a picture of like a dirty glass in the back of the brewery (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's just like all of us for a number of years just like you know snapping photos on the phone and trying to come up with trying to quickly come up with a witty caption to go along with something but you know well, this is normally where I would ask you guys what's next, but you've already told me it's waiting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hurry up and wait. It's been like that. Uh... Should we tell you about the other lawsuits? Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Not exactly what people were expecting to, uh, to hear us talk about, but um, yeah, there aren't any other lawsuits. Just so you know. <laughs> well, what did you guys expect to talk about? Like, what's talk, talk to me about your fruit budget. What did you want to talk about? <laughs> you guys are still excited to get up and make beer every day and or own a brewery every day? It's pretty exciting times. Um, <laughs> I couldn't be less excited when you said that. <laughs> no, it, it's just a weird year. Like, the, it's, been, it's weird. It'd be nice to get back into a place where licensees are back open and we have all those relationships. And, you know, that was a huge part of our business. And you know, a, a lot of our relationships were with, you know, with, or are with 
um, you know, restaurant and bar owners that, that support us. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to a place where that's part of day-to-day -day life and part of the business. Also not wanting to see uh, people that you have business relationships or personal, personal relationships with, you know, losing their livelihoods as well. You know, it's just dark, yeah. right? Like all these people that, that we know who are licensees or, and or friends and they're just, you know, having a hell of a time. Right. So it's dark. It's been a dark year in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great note to leave it on guys. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, we're excited. It's like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of excitement behind it, but there's like, it's been a stressful, it's been a stressful year, man. Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's something you still want to try? <laughs> what do we need to try? I, mean, I think we need to get a barley wine going. I think we need a dark lager going eventually. <laughs> um you know i'm ex I'm excited to see some some things come out in the future okay what are you excited for mike uh more, more milk sharks <laughs> <Mandy Burrell. laughs> I, wouldn't put, I wouldn't put milk shark at the top of my list <laughs> you know i'm not uh, i understand there's people who like milk shark uh who yeah so i'm sure we'll do a few milk sharks <laughs> but um um, I was excited to see Brettlehead come back. Uh, you know, yeah. like beers like that, lower ABV, bready, bready oaked beers, bready oaked hoppy beers. And I was excited to see that one back. So uh, maybe more stuff at the Fooders, double barrel Imperial Stouts. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll be pushing things in like the sour fruited beer, beer category as well, doing, you know, modifications of things we do in, in that area. Yeah. Before we go, um, did you make a beer called Donkey Venom because you wanted to see if you could sell people a beer that basically is called Ass Poison? Uh, no, that's not the reason we came. But it's like the ring of that name, Ben. Okay, it's a good name. Yeah, one of my favorites. One of my favorites. Well, yeah, it's your handle, and it's clearly it's your Zoom handle. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for doing the show, guys. It's nice to see your faces. Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah. Likewise. Take yeah. care. Hopefully we're doing this again at DuPont and uh, on the other side of this thing. <laughs> 2030. 20, so long and thanks for the shoes. <laughs>